Good morning, all of you. Just go ahead and take your Bibles and turn with me now to Numbers, Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. And we're kind of coming back to the book of Numbers this morning. We have uh, were there most of, about a good half last year, and we took a brief series in December and January, a brief uh, detour series in December and January, and we're back in Numbers chapter 11. This is kind of uh, uh, just continuing on where we have been. So Numbers chapter 11, we're going to go through the whole chapter, 35 verses, so there's a lot of reading today, and I want to make sure we read the passage, because a lot of times in the Old Testament, this narrative, you want to, when we preach it, how do we preach it? It's like... Um, you know, we can hear like the, the points, and, but the, when you hear stories, the point is to, to hear the story, to actually read the story. The, that's the idea of just kind of following through the story and just gleaming, gleaning out of it uh, the principles and truths that, that, would, uh, that, are, that God is trying to convey to us in the story. That, and this is a, truly a story, in these, but these are real stories, historical uh, events that took place in the life of the nation of Israel uh, some uh, 3,000 plus years ago. Numbers chapter 11, verses 1 to 35 is where we'll be then. Okay. Well, as you, many of you are kind of just, when we follow the news, follow the, the, what's going on in the world, you know that the world and society at large tolerate and even affirm uh, many uh, various things, particularly many different sins that the Bible calls sins. But the world would affirm them, would, would advocate for them. And most visible these days, of course, are probably those sins that are related to uh, sexual immorality, uh, like fornication or adultery or pornography or homosexuality. And these are definitely sins that the Bible condemns, uh, but the world in many ways affirms by our media, by, our, uh, by uh, just the, the, uh, the, the rules and laws that the world tries, has, tries to pass. Uh, most egregious, perhaps, of all the sins that the world uh, our world affirms and, and is the, perhaps the sin of murdering, uh, murdering our, our unborn children. And uh, we know that. We call that, a, they, we try to call it abortion. And, and, uh, but it's, and maybe people argue whether it's life or not life, but science would prove otherwise. And, but, uh, and while the world affirms these sins, and then we kind of, we as a church, we know that, oh, these are sinful things, clearly. No, there's almost no need to really say it, especially here in San Francisco as a church. But when the world affirms these sins, the, it's, it's the responsibility of the church of Jesus Christ to, to proclaim what the Word of God says, to faithfully call sin for sin, for what it is, uh, that it's a transgression against a holy God. And against such sins, the Church of Christ must condemn, must uh, all sin, and proclaim that Christ came to die for our sins like these. And he came, Christ came to call every sinner to repent and believe in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And while churches recognize these culturally forefront sins, we also know that Christ came to die for all sins, Right? It would be a shame for a church of Christ to call out some sins and ignore others in our lives. And among these kinds of sins that God condemns in his word, that God sent his son to die for, and that God calls us to repent and believe are sins that are common to probably many of us. Anger, laziness, pride, gluttony, and such. If there is a sin, however, that is most ignored or overlooked in our in our world and in our church and our culture, accepted widely throughout the nation and throughout even the church, one can make an argument that it is the sin of grumbling, grumbling or complaining. 
In our country, it is practically our nation's pastime to complain, is it not, about various things, whether it's our government, whether it's our, our jobs, our schools, our, our, our sports teams, that, uh, but not this weekend, and even our churches, right? Um, if we're honest with ourselves, we are all guilty at times of the sin of complaining. Uh, we let it go unchecked, however, at the risk of our own detriment. And as we will learn from today's passage, uh, we're going to see how sinful and how pervasive is grumbling for Israel as well as for us today. We're picking up in Numbers 11, which details the Israel's, Israelites wandering around in the wilderness. So they, they had just been set free from slavery out of Egypt, and they're crossed into the Sinai Peninsula, and they're heading towards the promised land of, e- of Israel. And as they wander, they're led by the Lord. They become guilty of sins like idolatry, immorality, testing the Lord, as well as grumbling or complaining. And at the heart of these sins, of course, is ultimately a sin of unbelief. It's it's a sin of not trusting the Lord. And in this book, we we are learning both of the faithfulness of God as well as how the need for God's people to be faithful to him. And part of that faithfulness involves trusting God in the Lord in the face of temptations, uh, when the temptations and to grumble or complain. Having been prepared by God for the march toward the promised land in chapters 1 through 10, the Israelites are now heading towards the promised land. It's a journey that according to Deuteronomy chapters 1, 1 verse 2 is an 11-day journey, 11 days from, uh, from Mount Sinai, Mount Horeb, all the way to Kadesh Barnea, which is overlooking into the promised land. It's an 11-day journey. Of course, we know this 11-day journey becomes a... 40-year one because of the unfaithfulness of that first generation. And this book is recorded down for history uh, as a written record for, and at least for, at first, for that second generation to read and remember, to remember the, how their first generation failed and how they ought not as they were preparing to enter in the promised land. And then, but it's recorded down to the generations through us today so that we will also be warned and take heed lest we also fall astray as uh, the first generation did as we wander in this, in this wilderness of life. As we look at this passage, then we're going to learn about complaining. And it's actually uh, the next two chapters, 11 and 12, we're going to be learning about complaining. And uh, in fact, uh, many chapters ahead, we're going to be learning about complaining. Uh, and uh, because it is such a pervasive sin. And I think it's, and if you're, we're honest, it's pervasive in our own lives. And, um, and it was just as it was pervasive in their lives. We're going to look at five points today, five observations for us this morning about complaining, about grumbling, that prepare, as it's written down for us in this story, they prepare and equip God's people to resist temptation, to our own temptation to grumble and complain as we walk through the, the wilderness of life. All right, so let's take a look then at these five uh, we're gonna, five observations, and we draw out kind of just, there are really five sections in this passage, and I want to draw out those five, kind of just a, a lesson on grumbling in each one. In verses 1 to 3, we learn, first of all, the first observation, and quite obvious, but what needs to be said, is that complaining is sin. Complaining is sin. Complaining is not just a hobby. It's not just something we do. It's not saying, oh, no, it's just not, you know, what we do on social media when we don't like something. Complaining is, is sin. It's sin, and it's, it's, a, it's a transgression of God's law, of God's will for our lives. It is a repeated theme in the book of Numbers. We find it here in 11, chapter 12, chapter 14, chapter 15, chapter 60, chapter 17, chapter 21. All these chapters, you're going to find some instance or mention of complaining. 
And here in chapter 11, we, we find not one instance, but actually we find two instances of grumbling here. Uh, in this early journey, it's been a three, so far they've traveled three days out of Mount Horeb, and then they've, they've camped. And so somewhere around there, in this particular location, along this way, there is this first instance. And this first instance only is re- recorded for us only in verses 1 to 3. It's, it's a very brief uh, passage. And we know, we, at first we kind of read it, we think, oh, it's the same thing, same as what happens in the passage, uh, passage verses that follow. But it has a different name, as we're going to see. It has a different name from the, from the verses that follow. And so this is actually a second, a first instance, kind of different from the second. And it serves for us to show in its brevity, a sort of a, a pattern or a paradigm for the Israelites complaining. This is what would always happen. It's almost like judges where there's a cycle of, uh, cycle of sin. Now, this is a cycle of complaining for the Israelites. This is what would happen. Let's read uh, uh, Numbers 11, 1 to 3. Now, the people became like those who complain of adversity in the hearing of the Lord. And when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some of the outskirts of the camp. The people therefore cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire dried out. So the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. Here in these three verses, we see a basic kind of five steps to the Israelites complaining. And this is five steps, and it wouldn't always happen in these five steps, but this is generally the pattern in which the Israelites would complain. First of all, it always begins with complaining. The people would complain of adversity, of trials, of troubles, of burdens that are in their lives. And, then, and when bad things happen, the natural response of people is to complain, right? That's, that's, that's what we probably do, and that's what they did. They are somehow dissatisfied with some aspect of life. They're discontent about something, and so they express it. Sometimes it's internal to oneself, this murmuring, grumbling, in fact, is, is often is a word that kind of refers to the sound that we make when we're complaining, like that. You know? But complaining is the actual act of sin, the sin, but grumbling kind of just becomes a synonym for it. Uh, sometimes, and many times, though, that grumbling becomes complaining to other people, to, to other people all around us. Secondly, God, we learn that there's a pattern here that God judges those who complain. And we see that God, his anger becomes kindled because God is a holy God and he dwelt among Israel. He would hear their complaining, even if they don't express it to him. He hears, he sees all things. And so he sends, he then, in, in, his, in his wrath, holy wrath, he sends judgment. In this case, he sends a fire, a fire on the outskirts of the camp, uh, burning, uh, burning the outskirts of the camp, dangering them. And then third, we see the people cry out for help. Very natural. When, when they face God's wrath, God's just, they cry, oh, Lord, help us. Or, oh, Moses, help us. And that's what they do. They, usually it's to Moses, their leader. Fourthly, then Moses would do his part as a leader. He intercedes on behalf of the people. He, he prays to God. He asks God to, to, uh, to uh, stem the, uh, the judgment and to forgive them. And then that usually leads to the fifth step where God's wrath is averted, where God, uh, he, he, uh, he, he, he stops his wrath uh, or he stops the plague, etc. And so we see that um, afterwards the name of this place is called Tabra, Tabra, uh, which means burning. So they would oftentimes find out that they would be, uh, in these places of judgment they would have a name and that name would remind them of what took place there. They're, they're complaining that led to burning. Reminding them of God's judgment upon their grumbling. See, when bad things happen, as they do in a fallen world, you know, we grumble and we complain. 
Uh, we become discontent. We, we think, this is not my plan. This is not what I would like to happen. And we become unthankful. We forget to be thankful, even though God has blessed us with many things. And uh, God has just, you know, for the Israelites, he just set them free from slavery in, in Egypt. And now they're, they're grumbling, complaining. We start telling others of, of how, basically, we, you know, maybe we look for sympathy. And so we're just telling people how miserable things are in our life. And, but make no mistake, when we, when we grumble, when we complain, uh, it is sin. And, and by the way, uh, there, there's a way to, to share uh, our, the, our troubles, our burdens with others in an in a, in a inform, informative way so that we can ask them to, to pray for us. We really want to trust the Lord, and, we, we, and there is that. But before we, but there, I think we can understand that there's a, there's a, pla- there's a place where it becomes, our, our, our sharing becomes complaining in our hearts, and it's an attitude within our hearts. But make no mistake, uh, we, we'll get there along the way, but f- grumbling is sin passages like Philippians 2.14, which says, do all things without grumbling and or disputing. And James 5.9 says, do not complain, brethren, uh, against one another so that you yourselves may not be judged. This idea when we complain about other people or about, in our, especially in our lives or other government, church leaders, etc., whatever it is, or family, parents, we're really, uh, we're kind of judging them. We're, we're setting that we're holding them up to our own standards. So they don't live up to our standards. They're not doing what I want them to do. And when we judge them in that way, there's a warning that we'll be judged. We, can, we too will shall be judged for this kind of activity. But when we allow the sin of grumbling to go unchecked in our lives, it, it leads to trouble. It leads to more trouble. It, it, it's, it's contagious. It, it spreads. Uh, and if we're grumbling, we, we need to recognize it as sin. And, and the response to oh, sin is, in the corner of God's word, is, is to repent of sin, to turn away from sin, and learn instead to, to cry out to God. Uh, in the face of an adversity in our lives. But that's a simple statement. That's complaining of sin. Secondly, we, as we build the, uh, on the story, and the, the bulk of this passage is the second instance of, of um, complaining. And we far, learn in this second instance that compl- that about complaining that comes from greed. Complaining from greed. And this, uh, this is all kind of covers from four, chapter, verse 4 to verse 35. Uh, a second instance of complaining in the early journey. Oftentimes, as we see in these verses, complaining comes from a heart of greed. Look at verses 4 through 9 with me of chapter 11. The rabble who were among them had greedy desires, and also the sons of Israel wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the fish which we used to eat free in Egypt, the cucumbers and the melons and the leeks and the onions and the garlic, but now our appetite is gone. There is nothing at all to look at except this manna. Now the manna was like coriander seed and its appearance like that of bdellium. The people would go about and gather it and grind it between two millstones or beat it in the mortar and boil it in the pot and make cakes with it. And its taste was as the taste of cakes baked with oil. When the dew fell on the camp at night, the manna would fall with it. The rabble here in verse 4 refers to that uh, mixed, the mixed multitude of, of various nations that went with Israel when they, when they left Egypt, according to Exodus 12, 38. And these people uh, uh, that were among them were had, according to the scriptures here, had greedy desires. They were greedy people. They were greedy. They wanted more than what they had. Um, their grumbling, of course, was contagious, as we see, as it begins to also influence the sons of Israel. The sons of it, so they, the, the rabble complained because they were greedy, and the sons of Israel, they started complaining because of their greed as well. 
in our days, we are, uh, when we talk about, con- you know, the, the contagiousness of, of things, we, we think of our, the disease, the COVID that's, uh, that's going around, of course. And it certainly is a concern that we have, for it is contagious. But if we ask ourselves, ask ourselves, what is the greater danger? The spread of a, of a disease or the spread of sin? Think about that. Spread of disease or spread of sin? Now, not only complaining is sin, but so is the greed that often motivates it. And so there's really sin that, uh, complaining that comes from greed is, is just sin upon sin. And that's usually how sin works. You, if you sin in one area and if you don't repent, it just naturally leads to other areas of our lives. And of course, greed is, greed is uh, whereas complaining is an, act, is, an, is, a, um, is an action, it comes from a, a, a sinful attitude, the attitude of greed, of, of wanting more, not being content with what we have. And in this story, the Israelites were, they were greedy for a particular thing. They were greedy for food. Uh, they wanted meat to eat. They, they longed for the, for the fish that was free in Egypt. Wow, that's fantastic. They wanted cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. Wow, you could just imagine the, the, the tasty dish that was made from all these things. Now, of course, it wasn't that they were hungry. They had plenty to eat. They had manna. Uh, God gave them manna. They simply wanted more. They were, they were greedy. And greedy, greed is often accompanied by its sister sin, discontentment. They're not content with what they had. They, uh, what they had was only manna. They did, even the wording here just shows the disdain. All we have is this manna. <laughs> it's like all we have is, is just Christ. <laughs> God has just given them bread from heaven. Uh, probably better than anything they've ever had, but here they are. And the description, verse 7 and 9, just goes and describes this food that they had, this manna that they did, were disdaining, that they were discontent with. It was pleasant to their eyes. It looked like a uh, bedellium. It, it, was, it, was, it was much more. It was, it was free. It would just fall down every night, right? Every night. You have to do no work. Imagine if you never had to work again for food. You would always have enough food. Well, that would save a lot of our energies, just kind of just oh, build a hut for yourself and have some shelter and you have, you have our clothes. Boy, it would save a lot of trouble. We spent a lot of energy just trying to save money for food. But God gave them food for all this they wanted in the wilderness. It, it was not just, it was not tasteless food. It wasn't just making no mistake. It's not like some, uh, it was just like, uh, uh, like communion wafers, you know, tasteless stuff, you know, just bland. It, it was, it was like, honeyed flavored you know crackers you know it was uh it was stuff they would could they break down they would bake into cakes and it, it tastes like uh honeyed flavored it was uh it was, it was a sweetness to it uh, i think a honey grams but anyways i'm not sure exactly if that would taste but it there was a, a flavorfulness to it see when a person's uh greedy they they lose perspective of what they do have they, they kind of forget what they do have they, they they're no longer thankful they they don't see the the good that they have right in front of them and they only want what they don't have for greed leads to grumbling. Now, greed's not the end. We see that here. Uh, even as they, these people are complaining about their food, and it's, it's not even a life or death situation. They're just, they just want more variety. Um, and uh, they, were, they were discontent with what God provided. And that greed leads to complaining. Um, but greed is not the only cause for complaining. Uh, there are other causes, all the occasions, all the other kind of situations that lead to complaining in life. And that we see it in verse 10 to 15. And they great, that we also see that great burdens uh, lead to complaining, and that's complaining from burdens. There are times when we have burdens and adversity in life, and those become occasions, situations, which, which can produce complaining uh, in our lives. And as we said, grumbling is contagious. 
it began to affect not just the, the people. It began with the rabble. It affected the sons of Israel. And here in 10 to 15, we see that it affects Moses himself as well. Verse 10 to 15, let's read. Now Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, each man at the doorway of his tent. And the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly, and Moses was displeased. So Moses said to the Lord, Why have you been so hard on your servant, and why have I not found favor in your sight that you have laid the burden of all this people on me? Was it I who conceived all this people? Was it I who brought them forth that you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a nursing infant to the land which you swore to their fathers? Where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they, for they weep before me, saying, Give us meat that we may eat. I alone am not able to carry all this people, because it is too burdensome for me. So if you are going to deal this thus with me, please kill me at once. If I have found favor in your sight, and do not let me see my wretchedness. This does not sound like a response of a man of faith here. It sounds like he said, oh, it's just too much, Lord. All the complaint against stand it. Kill me, please. It's too much. It's, I'm, I alone am, am, am carrying this burden. It is too great for me. This is, a, this is an attitude of complaining, even from, from Moses. Moses' complaint is that God has given him a burden in the Israelites that is just too great for him alone to bear. And like Moses, we, we all too, do we not face times in our lives when we, we, we are experiencing some burden or adversity or trial that we feel that it's just too great to bear. It's so heavy. In fact, you become like Moses, oh Lord, if this is what's going to happen, please just kill me. I don't want to kill myself, but please just kill me. I just want to die. I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to experience this more. And we, that, that's a, that's a, there are times in life that you feel, you can, you can feel that way. Conflicts in our homes are often like that with your, with your spouse. Um, you know, I am part of this the dad's group on Facebook. You know, it's just uh, dads, only dads or something like that. And, I, boy, I see just too many times in this dad's group these posts where uh, these husbands are writing, um, bro, bros, you know, my wife just left me took everything, or my wife left, left me and, um, and wants a divorce, and they've left me with the kids. And I'm just getting here, I'm just devastated, I don't know what to do. And they're just, you know, these are unbelievers, you know, and then you just kind of, they're, just, they're just crying out, they say, man, this happens all the time, it happens way too much. I, I see it about once every couple of days, someone's posting on Facebook, and this is not just, every, this is just, you know, a group of, you know, a couple thousand guys, 10,000, I think. You know, there are times in life when the conflicts in home with spouse, with children, they become too great, and people just will, will uh, become so overwhelmed by them. There's other trials, of course. There's just the waiting of singleness, struggles with infertility, uh, as we experience in our own lives. Many of us have experienced the, the, the burden, the, the weight of losing a loved one, someone who we really cared for. Some of us have lost, or when you lose your job for the first time, it's pretty devastating. When you lose your savings, maybe because of a sin or just because of bad investment, when you're addicted to, to drugs or, or some other pervasive enslaving desire or sin, and you can't get out, and you know it's wrong, but you just addict, you feel you're addicted to that. When you face a, that report from your doctor of a debilitating disease or a diagnosis of 
of a, of a terminal cancer. Such are among the many overwhelming burdens in the sin-cursed world. And I'm sure in this room, as I look around, I, I know that many of you have experienced those moments in life where the burdens are just too great. And trust you, we, we who also, various people, as we experience these same things, we, we don't want to blame you for complaining. You know, just think about Moses' uh, Moses' wife, not Moses, Job's wife, come alongside and say, Job, all these things happen, why don't you just curse God and die? Just go ahead and complain about to him, about him. And these are, there, are, there are always going to be these circumstances in life where you'll be, the great burden will be so great, you're going to be tempted to complain. But if when you complain, and if you complain, and you come to recognize that it's the sin for what it is, don't blame it on the circumstance or the burden itself. Really, the burdens and the circumstances that are, are situations that are giving rise to your complaining is just simply, it's revealing what's in, actually in your heart. All trials do that. It reveals what's in your heart. It, they, there's stress, there's pressure. It reveals the brokenness of, of, of your life. And it comes out and manifests in, in things like complaining. See, God uses our burdens in our lives to show us that we've not got it all together, that we all have need of Him and His provision. We need Christ, we need Jesus. We need to know that tribulations and trials are part of the life we live. And that, and that helps us as we go through trials. You know, that we should not be surprised when we experience burdens in life so that we would just start complaining about them. You know, scriptures uh, in the New Testament, we see these various mentions of, of this the, the reality of trials. Uh, Paul says, through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. Uh, Jesus says, in the world you have tribulation, but take courage. I have overcome the world. You know, Jesus came to give us peace and, and courage in the face of tribulation in this world. When we grumble from the weight of burdens, remember, it's not because of the situation itself. It's really a spiritual problem in our hearts. Our heart has failed to grasp this biblical perspective on our situation, and so we complain. We don't see God's perspective. We only see from our perspective, and it's not what we want, and so we complain. And the Israelites failed to grasp this God's perspective, because if they had just simply stood back and thought about it, the Lord had just delivered them from slavery, 400 years in slavery in Egypt. The Lord had just delivered them miraculously through the Red Sea from the destruction of the, of the Egyptian army. He had just revealed himself to them on Mount Sinai with, through thunder and lightning and had spoken to God's word. He had given them two tablets of stone reflecting his word for them. He had provided from from the uh, second month on this food called manna that every day that they would have to feed themselves. And they would, throughout their journeys, he would provide them water. And on top of all that, he gave them his own presence when he had them build the tabernacle. And then his glory came and dwelt in the very midst of the camp. And all throughout, they just simply needed to look and he was there. He's leading them to the promised land, and here they are, and all these, and these things that God has done, and they're looking back to Egypt. They're looking back to the free fish, to the melons and the leeks. They're looking back to Egypt as he's leading them to the promised land. And that kind of reveals for us, it reflects for us into, and into our fourth observation from this passage. What we need to recognize is the fourth observation is that complaining is really 
it, not only it's sin and it comes from greed or it comes from our burdens, but it's really unbelief. It's, not, it's a lack of faith in God. We see this in verses 16 to 23 of Numbers 11. The Lord therefore said to Moses, Gather for me 70 men from the elders of Israel, whom you know to be the elders of the people and their officers, and bring them to the tent of meeting, and let them take their stand there with you. Then I will come down and speak with you there, and I will take of the Spirit who is upon you, and will put him upon them, and they shall bear the burden of the people with you, so that you will not bear it all alone. Say to the people, oh, wow. We'll stop right there. In this section, God provides an answer to the complaining of the people. He, first of all, he provides an, an, an answer to, to Moses' complaint of being alone, uh, of, le- of basing in load and leading the Israelites. In verse, and he, does that in, he just does that in verse 16 and 17. He says, I'm going to gather for me 70 men, and I'm going to put my spirit upon them, and they're going to help you. That's, what, that's, that's the response to Moses' complaining. Uh, if you think about it, uh, back at chapter if you remember your, your history, at Exodus eight, back in Exodus 18, at the suggestion of Moses' father-in-law, Jethro, uh, Moses had selected men to help him in settling the legal disputes among the Israelites, to judge the different disagreements that people had. But here God instructs Moses to select just 70 men from among the elders. So this is a smaller group, this is a different group, of people that he, God would have Moses choose. They were chosen not from just anybody, but they were chosen from among the elders. So these were the older men of the, of, the, of the people of Israel. These were the wiser and the experienced men. And they were to help Moses in the spiritual oversight of the people. Whereas the, the, in Jethro's case, there was with the more just the, the, the daily uh, disputes and, and uh, judicial legal matters that they were facing. Moses had complained to God, and God provided, as we see in verse 17. But God also provides an answer to the people's complaint of food in verses 18 to 20. Look at verse 18 to 20 then. Say to the people, uh, this again, God speaking to Moses to say to uh, Israelites, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat. For you have wept in the ears of the Lord, saying, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. For we were well off in Egypt. Therefore, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. You shall eat not one day, not nor two days, nor five days, nor ten days, nor twenty days, but a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why do we ever leave Egypt? God's instructions here for the people at first seem to be an act of grace. Well, it's great. They're complaining of food. God's going to give them food. Oh, so merciful and gracious of the Lord. But if we have just, can you kind of just re- listen to the reading of the story? It's like, oh, huh, this is a little, this is a disconnect. It's not just, oh, you need food. Oh, here's food. You know, my kids ask me for, oh, daddy, I'm hungry. I say, oh, here's food. I don't go, here, here's food. I'm going to give you so much food. It's going to just come out of your nostrils. It conveys something, right? There's an, an aspect of rebuke, of judgment. And it's because God is actually rebuking them for their unbelief. And you see instances, evidence of it in these, in these verses that we just read. In verse 18, he's, they're, they're, they're crying out, Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. Listen to that. Oh, that someone would give us meat to eat. And they're complaining. You know, the Lord is right there in their presence. They could just go to the Lord or go through Moses. Oh, Moses, could you ask the Lord for something to eat? 
But then they're just asking, oh, we just want some, we just want some, that, we just want some food to eat. They don't ask God for meat to eat. They're just complaining. In their same verse, and even in verse 18, instead of looking to God, notice what they're looking back to. That, oh, that we would go back to that, we, how well off we were in Egypt. They were, they were looking back to Egypt as if they, oh, remember those good old days of slavery in Egypt? That's what they were doing. He had delivered them bondage, and they called them the good old days. They're oh, well off. See, they wanted meat, but they didn't turn to the Lord. So God, that God would give them meat. So God gives them meat. Sometimes God does that. In judgment, he gives you exactly what you want. And then you'll find out that what you want was really, was, is, is really something that would be detrimental to you. If said you should have stayed with God's plan. He would give them meat, a whole month's worth of meat, all at once, so, they, so much that they'll be sick of it. And why does he do that? He's saying, I'm going to give you so much meat, so it's going to come out of your nostrils. Verse 20, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you. And wanted to return to Egypt and wanted the foods that they had in Egypt. They were, in essence, in not seeking the Lord for food. They were rejecting God. They were not trusting in him to provide for him as he had already done. They were saying, Lord, you've given us manna, but manna is not enough. What you give me, Lord, is not enough. I need more. I need more than just Christ. I need more than just this salvation that you have. I want to have, and you just fill in the blank. You know, may you not say it that way, but that's our attitudes when we complain. Out of, It's really an act of unbelief. It's when we're not, when we are discontent, with our lot in life, where we find discontentment, um, then we're really, at, at the heart of it, we're, we're, we're complaining. Uh, we're complaining about God, that God's provision. We really don't believe that God knows what's best for us. Of course, the, the Israelites weren't alone in their unbelief. Moses would express unbelief as well in his, resp- in his own way as well, in verse 21 to 23 of Numbers 11. But Moses said, the people among whom I... Uh, the, but Moses said, the people among whom I am are 600,000 a foot. Yet you have said, I will give them meat so they may eat for a whole month. See, Moses doesn't even hear what God's saying. Moses, he's going to judge them. He said, but all he hears is, you can get food for, where am I going to get the, all this food? He thinks, should flocks, and verse 22, and herds be slaughtered for them to be sufficient for them? Or should all the flesh of the sea be gathered together for them to be sufficient for them? And then the Lord said to Moses, is the Lord's power limited? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. Moses begins to, his, in hearing God's answer, he begins, in his response, he begins to doubt God's ability. He too wrestling, is wrestling with unbelief. He says, where am I, where are we going to get all this food? Where, how are you going to provide food for 600,000 people and more? But the Lord reproves him in verse 23 and with the, the simple question, is the Lord's power limited? You know, when we, when we complain, we're really sometimes, oftentimes, we may not be thinking about it consciously, but here Moses actually is consciously thinking about it. We're complaining about God's ability, God's goodness. And, and here he's questioning God's power. But it really, is the Lord's power limited? Of course not. If we stop to think, no, it's not limited. He can provide for that which we really want if, we, if, if, we want, if, he, if, if he wanted to and will to. If he believed it was good for us. If the Lord promises it, he is able to do it. 
with God's very word, he created the universe. How much, how much easier it would be to speak and, and deliver some, some meat for you? It's that easy for the Lord God because the Lord's power is not limited. It's unlimited. At the heart of grumbling, complaining is, is unbelief. It's unbelief in God. You don't like your circumstances and you forget that God is in control of your circumstances. You're discontent with what you have and you forget that God has given you everything you have. You don't believe that God's plans are better than your you don't believe that God's plans are better than your plans for yourself. And so when we complain about others or our circumstances, we're complaining about God. A God who is sovereign over all things, who who cares for us, who loves us, and has gives us exactly what we need at the moment of our life. We can trust in him. For he has been so faithful to us, and he'd been faithful to Israel all throughout their lives. We wrap up with one last observation, and this is kind of just a conclusion point is that complaining and God's response. And God's response. God in these verses 24 to 35, we see how God responds to complaining among the Israelites. We'll read uh, verse 24 to 30 first. 24 to 30. So having received instruction, so Moses went out. And told the people the words of the Lord. Also, he gathered 70 men of the elders of the people and stationed them around the tent. Then the Lord came down in the cloud and spoke to him. And he took of the spirit who was upon him and placed him upon the 70 elders. And when the spirit rested upon them, they prophesied, but they did not do it again. But two men had remained in the camp. The name of one was Eldad, and the name of the other Medad. And the spirit rested upon them. Now they were among those who had been registered but had not gone out to the tent. And they prophesied in the camp. So a young man ran and told Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp. Then Joshua the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses from his youth, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them. But Moses said to him, Are you jealous for my sake? Would that all the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Then Moses returned to the camp, both he and the elders of Israel. Moses hears God's promise. Oh, <laughs> And, and he, he obeys. He, he follows through. He, he, he follows his instructions. And, and so we see then in these verses God's response. God's response to Moses. He goes around. He, he, he follows he follows instructions. And this is what God does. And God's response to Moses' complaint, what he does for Moses' complaint about him being alone and carrying the burden of leading his people, is that God responds with grace. He shows grace to, to Moses. He provides help to Moses through these 70 men. These 70 men who are chosen, they become filled with the Spirit. It's the manifestation of the Spirit is they both prophesy, but, but that was the only time. So they're, they're kind of like, become like Moses, but they're, they're not quite like Moses because Moses would continually uh, hear God's Word and proclaim God's Word. But these one, men just did it one time. But it was just enough of a sign to show that these men are also Spirit-filled. Oddly, there's a little story here about two, two additional men who were not gathered together around the tent of meeting, but were in the, rest, in the, in the, the larger camp still, uh, Eldad and Medad, and they become spirit-filled as well. And they begin prophesying, and then when, they, when uh, they gets reported that Moses and Joshua's there right next to him hearing this, so Joshua basically says, you want me to, you know, you got to do something to stop them. This is, this is not what God said in his word. You know, this, this, these are the 70, and those, they're the two extra ones almost. He's, he's kind of jealous, he's jealous for, uh, for, for Moses' sake, you know. He, there's a, there's a kind of a, almost a, uh, an understanding here that even as uh, this, uh, 
these 70 men are chosen that in a very practical sense, uh, Moses' leadership becomes a little bit uh, more diminished because it's now spread out among uh, these 70 men. But nevertheless, his jealousy is responded to in a, in a humble way by Moses, and Moses being the most humble man who ever walked on the face of the earth except for Jesus. And he says, would that all Lord's people would be prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Um, you know, and so what we see here is that God's grace in providing for is, is even more abundant than what he promised, that even these two guys inside the camp, they too become filled with the spirit and begin prophesying. And it's just, they were at that moment for whoever was around them and, and heard the word of the Lord. But when we bring our complaints to the Lord, as Moses did, we can trust that God's grace will provide us, uh, will provide us a, 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 uh, what we need in the moment, whether it's a it's a giving us what we wish for, what we're complaining about, what we're, what we're asking, uh, bring, ca- uh, casting before him, or whether he will give us just simply uh, w- what we already have and helping us to better understand that, giving us peace, giving us of courage to face our burdens. And whatever he provides will be abundantly more than whatever we expected or hoped. In verse 31 to 35, we see a different response of God to the complaining of the people. Verse 31 to 35. Now there went forth a wind from the Lord, and it brought quail from the sea, and let them fall beside the camp, and about a day's journey on this side, and a day's journey on the other side, all around the camp, and about two cubits deep on the surface of the ground. The people spent all day and all night and all the next day, and gathered the quail. He who gathered least gathered ten homers, and they spread them out for themselves all around the camp. While the meat was still between their teeth, before it was chewed, the anger of the Lord was kindled against the people. And the Lord struck the people with a very severe plague. So the name of that place was called Kibroth Hatava, because there they buried the people who had been greedy. From Kibroth Hatava, the people set out for Hazaroth, and they remained at Hazaroth. So God's response to the people's complaint is not one of grace in this instance, but it's one of judgment. And God is a God of grace, and God is a God of judgment. He, and he, in this case, he responds with judgment to sin. He causes a wind to bring, to bring quail to them. He gives them exactly what they want, meat. And there is quail as far as I can see. This is, this is amazing. Two cubits, two cubits about 18 inches or so, usually between the elbow and that fingertip. Two of these cubits, so say three feet, conservatively two feet, two feet deep of, of quail, for a, a mile, a mile, is it a mile? A, a day's journey. You can just, you know, walking a day's journey outside the camp. All surrounding the camp, whatever way you can walk, a day's journey, there is two feet, three feet deep of quail. That's crazy. And, um, and there's a lot of meat. Of course, they all gathered so much. Because God's promise, you're gonna, he's going to give them a month full. They're going to have enough quail for, to eat for a month. Where it's, it comes just, they're going to get sick of it. The people are, are so overjoyed, of course. And, they, and what they do? Well, they start gathering. You know, they probably say, oh, yeah, let's get this meat all day, all night. All the next day, they start gathering. But notice God's judgment. Before they could even swallow the meat. So presumably, they, they, after they gathered, they, they prepared it. Someone laid it off to dry. Some they started to cook right away. And they put it in their mouth. Before they even swallowed it, the Lord struck them with a severe plague. He judged them, and he didn't necessarily judge all of them, but he was judged particularly those who were greedy, who had complained out of greed. 
And then certainly there must have been some Israelites who did not complain. But, you know, those that had complained agreed that God was judging them by giving them, by, by, giving, by striking them with a plague. He gave them what they want, and when he did, he struck them dead in judgment. And because God struck down those who were greedy, who complained because of their greed, the place became known as Kibroth Hatava, the, which translates to the graves of greediness. God judged them for their complaining that came from greed. And, and we might think that, oh, man, that seems so harsh. And so can you read that? You know, God just gave them food, and then before they can eat it, he strikes them down dead. But God, who is a holy God, has every right to strike us all down because of our sin. He could, he could destroy us at the very moment of birth because of our sin, our sin nature. But he doesn't. He shows grace to us. And these people had complained and grumbled against God from greed. And there's really... It's, it, there's no mention of any hard change. You don't hear them, as soon as the meat goes, oh, praise the Lord for this meat. Oh, thank the Lord, bless the Lord for this meat. There's no mention of any change of heart. There's no, there's no response of, of repentance for their greed, the repentance for their complaining of their unbelief. There's no sacrificial offer. They've just given a bunch of quail. They, they, you don't see them any response with, let's offer the first of these things. Let's offer these, this, some of these quails as a, as a thank offering to the Lord. Let's, let's slaughter some animals and, and give a, a free will offering to the Lord. There's no thanks, no praise, because there's no hard change. And God knew their greediness, and God judged them, and he gave them, he gave them more than their greedy hearts asked for, and he struck them down dead. It shows us the seriousness of, of complaining. It's a sin that is worthy of death. It's not just sin. Oh, that's a little God. Oh, okay, you're not murdering somebody. Okay, yeah, I'll let you slide. If you complain, it is sin, and that is a sin worth death, that deserves death before a holy God. But why, why the difference? Why does Moses get grace, and why does, uh, why does uh, the people the, who are greedy get God's judgment? Because Moses complained in the right way. I know we've said that complaining is sin, but there is actually a right way to complain. There's an acceptable way in the Bible, in fact, in fact, that shows that you can complain in a way where, uh, that, is, that, is, that God, would, that God is, that is acceptable to God. And Moses complains, but he complains to God. He directs his complaint to God. He knows that the, that the circumstances of life are because of God's sovereignty and God's sovereign will. And so he turns to the Lord. And like Moses, we need to learn to be like him. When we have complaints, when we go complaints, whether it's from greed, whether it's from our, our greedy, sinful desires, whether it's from uh, even from the overwhelmingness of burdens in our life, whether it's even from unbelief, that all these things, we need to learn to turn our complaints and cast them before the Lord, to go to God with our complaints. We see this all oftentimes in the Psalms. We see it actually in Job quite a bit too. Job, you know his, the troubles that he went through. But he brought his complaints to God. And, and so and Moses brings his complaints to God. And Job was a righteous man, right? He didn't, he, he, he didn't sin in his response. But a uh, passage for us to think to is, is David. When David was, uh, writes in Psalm 55, 17, Evening and morning and at noon I will complain and murmur. Wow. And he will hear my voice. 
So that's, that's the faith of a man after God's own heart. He knows that if he has complaints, if he has things that are, that are bothering him, through every day, every moment of his life, evening, morning, and noon, that's, that's all day, all the time, bring your complaints to the Lord. Bring it to someone who can make a difference. Cast them upon it. You know, admit, that, oh, Lord, you know my, my weakness. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm being greedy here. Lord, I, I don't have faith in your plan for me. I really don't think I can face this particular, this, this burden in my life. And I know that your plans are better than my plans, and I know it's, and, but it's hard, Lord. And I really don't want to be facing this. And so you just bring it to God. God is pleased when we bring our complaints to him, and he will hear your voice. You can trust in that. That's, this is, that's his, you might call this righteous complaining. Our burden should cause us to look to God with our complaints and seek his help. And it, it is okay. We see the Psalms all across the Psalms. It's okay to feel overwhelmed, to feel weighed, weighed down. It's okay to feel helpless and hopeless. But bring your complaints, bring your burdens to the Lord and learn to, have, learn to find faith in the face of your burdens. For he is with you. He will never leave you. He's given you Christ. He will lead you through the wilderness. Wrap up in conclusion. A fitting conclusion for all of this is to really to turn to the New Testament kind of interpretation of of, uh, of all of all this, and that's in First Corinthians chapter ten, verses six through thirteen. Paul there had written writes what happened to the Israelites in the wilderness. Really, it was an example for all of us. And in verse six, he writes, "Now these things that is that happened to the Israelites happened as examples for us, so that we would not crave evil things as they also." craved. And it kind of goes on, talks about the other sins uh, that they experienced with the idolatry, immorality, uh, testing the Lord. But verse 10, that nor grumble as some of them did, and were destroyed by the destroyer. Again, he repeats it, verse 11, what he said in verse 6, now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed that he does not fall. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. But with the temptation will provide the way of escape also. So you will be able to endure it. There, are just, there, are, there really is no temptation that, that we wrestle with. Whether it's complaining, whether it's idolatry, whether it's immorality, with all sorts of greed and, and the questioning of the Lord. All these things that the temptations what are, that you, and, you are experiencing, they're not just unique to you. I face them too. We all face them. We all experience them. The Israelites face them. But, they, but their example, the Israelites' example, was written down so that we would learn from their example, that we would learn to recognize the dangers, the danger of, of the sin of, of, of complaining. You know, recognize that it's a danger. It's, it's not just some, you know, it's, it's, okay. it's not going to hurt anybody if I'm complaining. It actually is dangerous. It's contagious. And sin leads to further sin. If you allow a grumbling, if you allow yourself to maintain a grumbling heart, it's going to start causing you to judge others. And when you start judging others, well, believe you me, that God, you're going to be under that judgment too. It becomes, it leads to oftentimes to bitterness. It has this, it, it, it's, and if it's manifest because of greed, then you're going to have discontentment. You're going to also have unthankfulness. See, it's all just because of your complaining heart. It really, it's, it's a spiritual problem. And when you're complaining, it's, it's like, it's like if you have a pain all the time, 
in your body. It tells you that something's not right in your body. Something's wrong. And if you're just complaining in your life, something's wrong in your heart, in your soul. And you need to, you need to find out what's, what's causing this grumbling and complaining. It's revealing some kind of sinful attitude in my heart. What is it? Recognize how easy it is to fall into complaining. Uh, we all, it's a common temptation. And recognize that God is faithful. God is faithful in the, in the face of our temptations to grumble, complain even. In the face of all temptations, sin, but in the face of grumbling, complaining, that remember that God has provided the way of escape out of it. We really haven't given any practical advice for you know, how to resist complaining. That, that might be a good, I'm sure that's a good, uh, that's probably in our, your counseling Sunday school class, I'm sure, uh, along the way, because that's something we all wrestle with. But God's provided the way of escape in Jesus Christ. That's first and foremost. And then when through Christ, he paid the penalty for our sins, your sins and mine, for the sins of complaining and, and, and uh, grumbling. He died to give you a, a hope of a future that is greater than anything you can experience or wish for on earth. And he will take us there to that promised land of heaven. In the meantime, let us endure the temptations to grumble, complain, and understand them and simply and by faith that they are part of God's plan for our life that through many tribulations we will enter the kingdom of God. And he will sanctify us in the process so that we will be prepared for the home that Christ is going to take us to be with him, to dwell. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for our time and your word. Thank you for these uh, encouragements about complaining. And in our lives, we, we confess, Lord, that we, um, we complain. We are often discontent about our life. And we, uh, we're oftentimes murmur in our own minds and hearts and then sometimes lord we we grumble complain to others we grumble complain not only about our own life but we grumble complain about others in our lives father your word reminds us that this is sin Lord, we ask for your forgiveness please help us to to see and, and have your perspective on our world, to understand how much you've given to us, how great and good you are, how you, your plans are better than ours. And Lord, when we complain, when we are discontent, help us to cast them before you. For Lord, you know, and you provide the way of escape. Most importantly, you provide the way of escape through Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, for the forgiveness we have for sin, but also the, the hope in him that helps us to have a perspective on life that, that guards us from, from greed and discontentment and unthankfulness. But Lord, certainly you have given us Christ, and that is a greater treasure than anything else. And you have given us the promise of eternal life in heaven, and that is a greater place than any place we have on earth. Lord, we, there is no hope here on this planet, but a hope in you. And Lord, in, as long as we hold on to you, Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength and the courage that we need to live, to, to live in this world as we wander in the wilderness, facing those adversities and tribulations and trials that, that exist for all of us in this sin-cursed world. Lord, we pray that we would see your hand upon us and remember that you're with us all the time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.